This morning, being Communion Sunday, I want to minister to you a very simple message. It's the kind of message that we don't hear very much of today, but nevertheless, it's very, very important to our lives as Christians, and also very important for those who don't know Christ to also hear and be aware of as well. And I've entitled this message very simply, How Much Does It Cost? And 1 Peter chapter 1 is my text this morning, verses 17 through 21. Beginning at verse 17, I'm reading this portion of the scripture from the New International Version. It says, Since you call on a father who judges, judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Our Father, we thank you for your word today. We ask in the name of Jesus that the Spirit of God, the author and teacher of your word, will minister it to our hearts and lives today. And Father God, as we focus on this time of Holy Communion today, we pray that the word of God connected therewith will speak life to our lives today. We give you thanks and praise for it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. As a budget-minded consumer... Whenever I'm shopping and I see something that I'd like to have, the first thing I look at is the price tag. And the first thing I consider is the cost. Now, some people say, if you ask how much it costs, then you can't afford it. Not necessarily so. Because you may have another means or another way of getting it. You may not be able to purchase it immediately or right at the very time that you're looking at it and you're looking at that extremely high price. But there may be some other ways that you can uh, get to purchase that, that you like. Now, for those of you who have no budgetary concerns, you may make a sacrifice and bite the bullet right on the spot and purchase it. Then there are those of us who may decide that, you know what? We're going to shop around for a more affordable price. Now, back in the day, <laughs> it seems like back in the day since I've been to the United States. <laughs> feel like, yes. But whenever shopping in the United States I like to go in the tool section. And if I see a tool in there that I need, and I like it, and I could use it, 
If I'm in Lowe's or Home Depot, I do not purchase it right away. Because nine out of ten times, Walmart has the same tool for less money. And if it's a dollar less, that's fine with me. That's a dollar I can keep in my pocket. And so you might be able to shop around and get it at a more reasonable price. And you don't have to just do without it. Or, as they used to do back in the day, some stores still do it in the United States. Um, I think, um, y'all don't tell me all the stores y'all to shop at now, because I know how y'all go. Um, but back in the day, you could put it on layaway. You know, and you could purchase it like that. Or you could use a credit card. Even though it's 18 to 20% interest, but you could still pay for it over time. Get it and then pay for it over time. Or you can simply wait for it to be placed on sale. Now, like I said to the early service this morning, it might be on sale six months later and it might be out of season. But nevertheless, it's my season. You know, six, six months ago might have been the rich man's season. Six months later is my season. You know, I like to go shopping with my wife. Now, ain't none of y'all fellas like, I ain't never hear none of y'all say that. But I like to go shopping with my wife. You know why? Because Sister Curry used to say this, Pastor Curry used to say this same thing. And I learned this from him. When he liked to go shopping with Sister Curry because Sister Curry knew how to save him some money. Y'all get that in a second. So she, she goes into the store, and my wife is the exact same way. She goes into the store, and on the rock is this nice dress. Oh, it's heavenly. You know? And she loves it. But my wife ain't going to pay $400 for nothing. I might as well tell you right off the top. She ain't going to purchase that for $400. Now that might be in the summer when we are off. Later on in the year, around this time, when we go off again, she goes back in the same store. And the same dress is on the sale rack for $40. Same dress. Same dress. And my wife just snatches up six or seven of those and says, come, let's go. I can bless some other people with these too. And so, yes, we may ask, how much does it cost? But, you know, we don't always have to spend as much as it might cost at the time when we're looking at it, there are other ways we could figure these things out and still get the same merchandise and still be blessed by it. And then you buy that six months later, that's your season, man. That's your season. You know? And so enjoy it. Enjoy it and be blessed by it. And, uh, you know, then there are some items I walk straight by. Because I don't spy the price of it. I ain't looking for that in no other store. Because I know what the other, the other store price ain't going to be much less. Even the sale price is too high. 
So I walk straight by without looking at it. I just simply ain't gonna pay that kind of money for it. Sorry. And so we consider all of these kinds of things when it comes to spending money, when it comes to the prices of things and stuff that we want, we want to purchase. And so with that in mind, with that thinking in mind, I want to talk about the price tag of our redemption and our salvation. The price tag of our redemption and our salvation. Now, as I said a minute ago, we don't preach these kind of messages regularly anymore like we used to. But it's the crux of the scripture. Whatever else you extract and you preach from the scripture that might be relevant to our lives. What I'm going to preach to you today is the crux of the scripture. Because without this, nothing else would be valid in the scriptures. So let's dig in. From our text, 1 Peter 1, 17 through 21, there are three things that I'm going to talk about from the text. The first one, the apostle Peter mentions the emptiness of spiritual rituals without Jesus. The emptiness of spiritual rituals without Jesus. Now, let me say this at the beginning because I kind of went on and didn't mention it until a little later on in the early service. When I talk about rituals, I'm not just talking about mainline churches and denominations that have certain rituals that they go through during the course of their service. Certain things that are already set and planned and they just follow through those things because that's how they do church. And we think about some of the things that happen in those kinds of uh, our church settings. And so when we think about rituals, when we think about traditions, these are some of the things that pop into our minds. But even in our church setting, our kind of church setting, a lot of what we do can also be rituals. Coming to church can be a ritual. Engaging in praise and worship can be a ritual. Praying can be a ritual. Giving offerings can be a ritual. And so what we are focusing in on is making sure that these kinds of things, these kinds of religious things, these kinds of spiritual things are not mere rituals and traditions that are in our lives, but at the same time, we have no real connection to God. In verse 18, the apostle talks about the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. The old King James Version says, that which has been received by tradition from your fathers. Other translations translate the same phrase, the empty way of life, as a vain manner of life. A vain manner of life. In other words, you're going through all of this stuff, but there's something missing. There is something at the core that makes all of this stuff a reality that's missing. 
And so it's described as a vain manner of life. It is also translated as a futile way of life. A worthless and meaningless way of life. And the Amplified Bible says it this way. It's a useless, spiritually unproductive way of life. How many people this morning are in a church setting just like this? And all they are simply doing is going through the rituals, observing the traditions, but their spiritual life is empty and void. Because the key element that brings all of that to life and makes it meaningful is not there. And what am I talking about? I'm going to make a few statements. When it comes to knowing God, Religious, religious rituals and traditions are meaningless without a personal relationship with him. And let me bring that a little closer home so that we don't think about those other people in those other churches that go through a lot of rituals during their time of service. If you engage in praise and worship and you don't have a personal relationship with the one that you are praising and worshiping, it's meaningless. It's meaningless to you and it's meaningless to God. Stick with me. Religious rituals and traditions do not guarantee a personal spiritual connection with God. Just because you worship, just because you pray, just because you give, just because you serve does not automatically mean that you have a personal spiritual connection with God. Because a lot of people do these things and have no such connection. And that's why Peter describes it as an empty way of life. One more. Two more. Religious rituals and traditions can point you in God's direction. They can lead you. In the right way. They can direct you. To the right person. And they can direct you. To the kind of relationship. That you ought to have. As it relates to all of these other stuff. This other stuff. But they cannot substitute. For a personal relationship with God. They cannot substitute for a personal relationship with God. And without a personal relationship with God, our spiritual life is empty. I don't care how you try and plug in all of this other stuff that we do in church and around church and because of church. And you try and plug all of those things in, they can never substitute for a personal spiritual relationship with God and thus our spiritual life is an empty one it's a vain manner of life it's a futile way of life it's a worthless and meaningless way of life it is a useless spiritually unproductive way of life so if we find ourselves in that kind of a situation there's something that has to be done all of that can become a reality now. It can become a reality. But there is something in us 
that needs to be dealt with before it can become a reality. And our lives can become more than just some empty uh, way of life, some futile way of life that we go through week in and week out and week in and week out. Something can happen in us that changes all of that and brings all of that to life. Real life. Real spiritual life. So that brings me to the second thing from the text. And the Apostle Peter talks about the magnitude of the problem. Here is what is an obstacle to our lives being transformed from an empty spiritual life into one that is a life of spiritual reality because we are connected to the God who we are offering all of these other stuff to. It's a serious problem. And it's called sin. Sin is the biggest hindrance, the biggest obstacle to our lives being totally transformed by God. And even if we are in a church setting and going through some of these rituals and observing some of these traditions, if we deal with the sin problem, then the reality can actually come into place. But we've got to deal with the sin problem, and it's a big problem. The original sin committed by Adam and Eve didn't just separate us from God. It put a sinful nature into us. Man was just not banished from the garden, and that was it. Put away, put out from the presence of God, and that was it. But at the same time, when sin came into play, there was a sinful nature that became us. Not a part of us. It became us. Something happened on the inside that messed up the whole plan and purpose of God in creating mankind. And that's why Jesus said these words in Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through verse 23. Jesus said, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. So the problem is on the inside. It's a sin problem and it's on the inside. And Jesus says it is from inside, from in there, from within this sinful nature that is us, that these things come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Jesus said all these evils come from inside and defile a man. And Jeremiah the prophet said in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Or the old King James says, It is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it or who can understand it? See, that's a problem on the inside. And that's the problem that we need to deal with. 
And so there is a difference then between the sin nature and sinful behavior. The sin nature is who and what we are. That's the part of us that has been so affected by sin and so affected by the fall of Adam and Eve that it creates this serious problem within us when it comes to connecting with God and, 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 and partaking in all of these other things that we do that are related to God. And so the sin nature is described in Psalm 51 verse 5. The psalmist says, surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Because it all came down from Adam and Eve. And every human being born out of Adam and Eve were born this way. With a sin nature. It's who we are and it's what we are. Sinful behavior on the other hand is what we do because of who and what we are. Our actions, our behavior. These are what we do because of who we are. You can't separate the two. Man doesn't sin because he makes a mistake. Man sins because he's a sinner. He has a sin nature. And out of that comes sinful behavior. In Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 18, the apostle Paul said it this way. As it is written... There is no one righteous, not even one. There is nobody that ever came into this world after Adam and Eve who came into this world as a righteous man or woman. None. Not even one, the apostle says. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless there is no one who does good, not even one. When I came out of my mother's womb, I didn't come out of my mother's womb with a heart after God. I didn't come out of my mother's womb doing what God wanted me to do. I did not come out of my mother's womb seeking God because the nature that was me was not bent in that direction. It was bent in the opposite direction. And so he says, because there's none righteous, because there's not even one, because we've all turned away, because we've all together become worthless, he says in verse 13, their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. This is the behavior. It's the follow through and the result of who we are. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the behavior of sin. As a result of the nature of sin. And there are three things that this kind of sin does to all of us. Number one, the power of sin enslaves and controls us. 
There is nobody who ever came into this world out of their mother's womb who came into this world with power over sin. Not a single person had power over sin. Not one. Now we are excluding Jesus, of course. But there is not one single person because the power of sin enslaves and controls us. Number two, the impurity of sin contaminates and corrupts us. That's why we think the way we do. That's why we act the way we do. Because the power, the impurity of sin contaminates and it corrupts us. And number three, the penalty of sin alienates and separates us from God for all eternity. In other words, if this sin problem is not fixed, then the penalty of sin will kick in when we die and the penalty of sin is separation from God for all eternity. So that's the magnitude of the problem. We don't want to live an empty life going through rituals, going through traditions, and yet our lives are spiritually empty and void because there's a sin problem that blocks our access to the solution for all of that. And it's a serious problem. Now you may say, Pastor Cash, isn't there some way we can get rid of our sin? Surely there's got to be something that we can do. What if I don't believe in Jesus? What if I don't embrace the doctrines and the teaching of Christianity and the Holy Scriptures? Surely there's got to be some way. Surely, you know, there's got to be something that I can do that can appease God. Something that I can do that can satisfy God other than the sin issue. But let me say to you that all of our human efforts to try and reform or change this sin condition falls short and fails every single time. But yet there are people who still feel as though surely there's something that we can do, something that I can do. Well, Pastor, what, 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 what if I live a good, moral, upright life? Won't that cover my sin? If I live good, if I live upright, if I don't, if I don't uh, practice the kind of things that some of these other people practice, these outright, out-front sins, I don't engage in these kinds of things, surely that's got to count for something. But the prophet Isaiah said, Isaiah 64 and verse 6, but, all, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. The best of our righteousness outside of Christ is like a bunch of filthy rags. And I wish I had the time to tell you what filthy rags being used here is all about. Tell them. No, I can pass on that one. It's just filthy. All right? And, and uh, uh, you know, somebody else may feel and, and say, well, pastor, you know, won't our lives, if we serve others, atone for our sin? What about all of the good stuff I do to help other people, serving other people, you know, ministering to other people, helping other people? Surely that's got to come for something. Why do I have to go this Jesus route? Surely God can look at that and surely God can be satisfied. 
that I am a good person who do good things to help people. What about even in the process of helping people, I end up giving my life in the course of helping them. Surely, that's got to count for something. But here's what Jesus said to some people who said they knew him and did a lot of good things in his name. He said in Matthew 7, 22 and 23, they said, Jesus speaking, and in your name, we've done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Listen now. You who work iniquity. The good things that they did, even in his name, he did not take account of. Because it's a sin problem. It's a sin issue. And so Jesus says, no, no, no. It doesn't account for anything. Not when it comes to sin. Number three, a lot of people in our world today like this one. You know, well, Pastor Shirley, if we give our money to the needy and help those who are in financial need, certainly that's got to do something to help with our sin. That's got to be able to make some kind of payment for our sin. Well, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 20, Peter said, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Now, this was a man wanting to purchase the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the context of the verse. But the principle is, your money, my money, can't purchase anything spiritual. Can't purchase the forgiveness of sins. Can't purchase a relationship with God. It doesn't matter how much money it might actually be. It is absolutely worthless when it comes to spiritual things. Well, pastor, we go to church. You know we go to church because you see us. We go to church. We go through the rituals, we observe the traditions, we keep all the rules. Surely that got to help cleanse our sin. It's got to count for something, Pastor. What do you mean? It's got to count for something? Well, here's what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. We're back to the inside again. See, it's not what we do or what we present, what we show on the outside. It's the condition of the inside. And even though we may be a good moral person, the inside is still contaminated by sin. The inside is still a sin nature. The inside is still that which produces sinful behavior. That's where the problem is. And so, Jesus says, their heart is far from me. And then, look what he says in verse 9. And in vain, they worship me. What did the apostle Peter say? It's an empty life. It's a vain, futile life. It comes for nothing. And so, the apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, 
in teaching about some of this stuff. He says in Romans chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will free me? Who will solve this issue? Who will deal with this issue in my life? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Back in Bible days in some countries, their custom was, if you committed murder and you took somebody's life, a part of the penalty for your crime was that they would strap the dead person's body onto you. And usually, it was from the front. So they would strap the dead person to you. And you would have to walk around with that dead person for however long they sentence you to be attached to the dead body. So here you are going to the food store and you have this dead person attached to you. That's how Paul looks at sin. He says, because of the power of sin in my life, because of what sin produces in me, for, because of what sin causes me to do, because of the power of the nature of sin that is me. He says, who in the world is going to release me and free me from this body of death that I'm walking around with every day? Who's going to free me? Who's going to deliver me? And then he says in verse 35, verse 25, I thank God. See, that's when you... You find yourself in a certain situation. You don't know how you're going to get out. You can't handle it. Your mind can't solve it. There is nobody else that can assist you in dealing with it. And then finally, you get a revelation of something. And then you... Thank God. Thank God. Now I see it. Now I know. See? Paul says, who is going to free me? From this body of death. Who's going, oh wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death. Who's going to free me from the control of this which is destructive to my life. I thank God. Through. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He saw it. That's how I'm going to be free. That's how I'm going to get out of this. That's how my empty life, my empty ritualistic, traditional, uh, 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 religious, spiritual life, that's how that's going to become a reality instead of just an empty existence. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I told you it was a simple message. And so the apostle then, Apostle Peter in our text, tells us about the price of our redemption. 
Because all of this stuff can be changed. All of this emptiness can become a reality. All of these rituals and, and traditions and stuff and, and rules and regulations and all of that, not knowing God, but still going through all of that stuff, all of that can become a reality. But we've got to deal with the sin issue. And the apostle tells us how it's dealt with. Let's look. Verse 18. He gives us the price of our redemption. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life. And some weeks ago, I talked about redemption. And the word simply means to buy back. He says, you were not bought back to God. You were not bought back by God with perishable things such as silver or gold. And so he tells us right off the top, what cannot pay the price for our redemption? Right off the top. Silver, gold, the most precious, the most valuable, the most expensive things that you could think about in life. The Apostle Paul, right at, Apostle Peter, right at the outset says, none of this stuff can help you when it comes to sin redemption and salvation no matter how much you have how much you own how much you yourself are valued because of all of these other things none of it can do a thing about your, your redemption this morning before i came to church i went online and i looked up the price of gold as it was at 6 a.m this morning And the price of gold, I said 6 a.m. this morning because by now it might have changed, up or down. But at 6 a.m. this morning, the price of gold was $1,878.60 per ounce. Now you know gold is heavy. So an ounce of gold is a very small little thing because of its weight. You put it on the scale, and an ounce, you know, it's not like an ounce of weed. We could get to the weed issue in a few weeks. Are you only waiting for Parliament? An ounce of weed is far different than an ounce of gold. You agree, Pastor Gino? An ounce of weed could be bigger than this plant. An ounce of gold can be. So when you talk about $1,878.60 for that, Compared to $200 for an ounce of weed like this? You get my point? Because that's all I'm doing. That's all I'm doing. As valuable as gold is, it can do nothing about sin. Nothing about redemption. Nothing about salvation. But there are a lot of people in the world who think that because 
They have this kind of wealth and they have this kind of value that it does avail something with God, but it absolutely doesn't. The price of silver as of 6 a.m. this morning was $24.74 per ounce. Now that sounds a little more reasonable, right? But who wants silver if you could get gold? Then I checked on diamonds. Diamonds had a whole lot of prices. You know, this was, this was before I joined the prayer meeting this morning, Sister Tracy. And after I saw the price of gold, silver, and diamonds, I had to start praying. <laughs> Clicked on the prayer meeting right away, got in there. Because if you, if you, if you, if you look at uh, the five-carat diamond, that's the high-value diamond. It sells for anywhere between $42,150 to $351,850 for a five-carat diamond. Now, the price is determined, I guess, by the quality of the diamond. But the Apostle Peter says, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. You were not purchased. With perishable things, your redemption was not purchased with perishable things such as silver or gold. You were not redeemed with these kinds of things, no matter how valuable, no matter how precious they might be. They absolutely warrant nothing. And then he talks about the only thing that could have paid the price for our redemption. Jesus, I love it. Oh. Huh. Boy, I remember the early days, early days when I used to be hearing these sermons. Oh, man, Jesus. The blood, the blood, the blood. Brought a level of excitement. Listen to me. I never got tired of hearing a sermon about the blood of Jesus. Because I knew how messed up I was. I knew what my sins looked like. I knew I was hell bound. I knew I wasn't living a life pleasing to God. So anytime I heard a sermon about the blood, it reminded me of how he washed me, how he cleansed me, how he purified me and made me into a new creation in Christ Jesus. I never, and to this day, still never get tired of hearing about the blood. The reason why you have a lot of half-hearted Christians in churches today is because they don't hear enough about the blood. Of Jesus. And so the only thing the apostle said that can deal with our redemption is the blood of Jesus. Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Listen to me today. If you're in this church, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. There is only one thing that can deal with your sin. There is only one thing that can cleanse your sin. There is only one thing that can provide the forgiveness of God for your sin. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Absolutely nothing else. And so the apostle describes the blood of Jesus as precious blood. 
precious blood. You see, when we think about gold, we think about precious metals. When we think about silver, we think about precious metals. When we think about diamonds, we think about precious metals. And rubies and the rest of these, we think about them as being precious, as being valuable. But the apostle says, the blood of Jesus is what is really precious. Far more precious than any of these material things. Now, why is the blood of Jesus precious? Let me give you five reasons why the blood of Jesus is called precious blood. Number one, it's heaven's blood. It's not the blood of an earthly man that came from the seed of Adam and the womb of Eve. It's heaven's blood. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is speaking to the elders of the Ephesian church and he's telling them to make sure that they shepherd the people of God, shepherd the church of God, which he says he purchased with his own blood. That's Jesus Christ. Purchased the church with his own blood. That's blood that came from heaven. I didn't get to share this in the 830 service, but um, you know, that a human being's blood is determined by the male. Well, when Jesus was conceived, there was no male. But the angel Gabriel said, the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you, Mary. And that Holy One that shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. Now, Jesus, being an earthly person as well, the the, the, a man as well as God had blood inside of him. But it was blood that came as a result of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary and bringing that seed into fruition. And so that blood that Jesus had was heaven's blood. Different than any of our earthly blood in the sense that our earthly blood has been tainted by sin. Jesus' blood was not tainted by sin. Heaven's blood. Number two, the blood of Jesus is called precious because it's perfect blood. Right in our text, 1 Peter 1 verse 19, it refers to Jesus as a lamb without blemish or defect. You know in the old covenant sacrifices, you could not offer any animal as a sacrifice that was sick or lame or blind or crippled or had any kind of sickness or any kind of disease. It could not be offered. The sacrificial lamb had to be a lamb that was physically perfect. And so the blood of Jesus as a lamb without blemish or defect was blood that was perfect blood. Untainted by sin. Number three, the blood of Jesus is referred to as precious blood because it's innocent blood. Innocent blood in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 4 when Judas realized that he had betrayed the Messiah, he had betrayed the Son of God. The Bible says he went back to the high priest and he threw the money that he took from them to betray Jesus at their feet and he says, take your money back because I have betrayed innocent blood. Pilate tried to wash his hands off of the whole situation with Jesus and he referred to Jesus as this innocent man. Innocent blood. 
And number four, the blood of Jesus is precious because it's sinless blood. I just referred to it, but Hebrews 4:15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. It's precious because it's sinless. There is no other kind of blood anywhere in the world. There has never been any other kind of blood. There will never be any kind of blood of a human being like the blood of Jesus. Sinless blood. And number five, it's cleansing blood. Gold can't cleanse you of anything. Diamonds can't cleanse you of anything. Silver can't cleanse you of anything. But the blood of Jesus can cleanse your sin. And so, it's a cleansing blood. First John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now listen to me good. That's all sin. That's all past sin. That's all present sin. And that's all future sin. The blood of Jesus has the power to cleanse us from all sin. I read this about Martin Luther, the great church reformer. It says that one night Martin Luther went to sleep and he was troubled about his sins. Then he went to sleep. Troubled about his sins. And Martin Luther was a godly man. But he went to bed troubled about his sins. And it goes on and says, in a dream, he saw an angel standing by a blackboard. And at the top of the board was Martin Luther's name. And the angel, with chalk in his hand, was listing all of Martin Luther's sins. Listing them all on the board. And the sins filled the blackboard. Martin Luther shuddered in the dream. He shuddered in despair. In essence saying, I'm a hopeless man. Feeling that his sins were so many that he could never be forgiven. But suddenly in his dream, he saw a past hand. Writing above the list these words. A past hand writing above his list of sins these words. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now listen, it says, as Luther gazed at the blackboard and gazed at the past hand in that dream, as he gazed in amazement, the blood flowed from the wounded hand and washed the record of his sins clean from the board. That's what the blood of Jesus does when it comes to sin. And when the blood of Jesus cleanses us in that way, then that empty life, that empty life that the apostle Peter talks about begins to take shape it begins to become a reality and things
things that were done in a ritualistic way, in a traditional kind of a way, suddenly begin to have meaning. They begin to impact our lives. They begin to become a reality in our lives because the magnitude of the sin problem has been dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ as we give our lives to him and he forgives and he cleanses and he redeems us and our spiritual life begins to become a reality that's the power of the blood of Jesus and I close with this the Bible tells us some things about the blood of Jesus that are personal to us. Let me give them to you. Buckle your seatbelt, it's going to be a little ride. The Bible tells us that by the blood of Jesus, I am justified. Romans 5, 9. The Bible tells us that by the blood of Jesus, I am forgiven. Ephesians 1, 7. The Bible tells us that by the blood of Jesus, I am reconciled with God. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. The Bible tells us that by the blood of Jesus, I am spared from God's wrath. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. That by the blood of Jesus, I am healed. 1 Peter 2, 24. That by the blood of Jesus, I am spiritually alive. John 6 and 53. That by the blood of Jesus, I am at peace with God. Isaiah 53 and 5. The Bible tells us that by the blood of Jesus, I am cleansed. 1 John 1, 7. By the blood of Jesus, I am free. Galatians 5, 1. By the blood of Jesus, I am not condemned. Romans 8 and 1. By the blood of Jesus, I am freed from the curse of the law. Galatians 3, 13. By the blood of Jesus, I am drawn close to God. Ephesians 2, 13. By the blood of Jesus, I am redeemed. 1 Peter 1, 18. 19. The Bible says that by the blood of Jesus, I am separated from the world. Galatians 2 and 20. By the blood of Jesus, I have a covenant with God. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. By the blood of Jesus, I have a clear conscience. Hebrews 10 and 22. By the blood of Jesus, I have power over the enemy. Revelation 12, 11. By the blood of Jesus, I have been reclaimed from the enemy. Ephesians 1, 7. By the blood of Jesus, I have been transferred into the kingdom of God. Colossians 2 and 15. By the blood of Jesus, I have favor with God. Ephesians 1 and 7. The Bible says that by the blood of Jesus, I have been declared righteous. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. The Bible says that by the blood of Jesus, I can enter the holiest of holies. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. And lastly, the Bible says that by the blood of Jesus, I have total victory to 
total victory because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The songwriter caught a vision of this truth and penned these words. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hear me today, church, for my pardon. This I see, nothing but the blood of, of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of, of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus, nor of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing, 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 nothing nothing but the blood of Jesus stand to your feet with me please hallelujah I stand here today because of the blood you stand here today because of the blood absolutely nothing else would have made it possible for us to be standing in God's presence today. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's the 